Anybody know what today is? Palm Sunday. So I better say something about Palm Sunday, shouldn't I? Let's read the text. Uh, John chapter 12. We're going to begin at verse 12. Uh, I do have my notes in the Bible app, but I'm actually, uh, just so you guys are aware, I'm, I'm going to stop a little earlier than what, I, uh, than what I, I had it there in the notes. So this is what it says, verse 12. The next day, the news of Jesus went on the way to Jerusalem, uh, that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God. Everybody say, praise God. Praise God. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. We sang that earlier. Hail King Jesus. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, everybody say glory. After he entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened. They realized these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead and telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they'd heard about this miraculous sign. The Pharisees said, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Let's stop there. Let's pray and ask the Lord's hand on this time as we open his word together. Lord, we come to you as, as king, as savior, as, as ruler, as conqueror and overcomer, almighty God. And, and today I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and you would change our lives. I'm I'm asking Jesus that you would make this word come alive and that you would speak to us, almighty God, what you desire to release in every one of our lives. Lord, I ask for an anointing to be released upon my life. Lord, that I would preach with authority as I ought to, and I ask that you would anoint every listener within the sound of my voice, mighty God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that receives what your spirit is speaking today. So, Lord, I pray that you would move by your might and move by your power today in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Powerful, powerful passage. Um, I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time explaining. There's, there's some great messages out there. You know, there is significance prophetically to the donkey. There is significance to the palm branches and even the declarations that the disciples uh, and, and those who were following Jesus made. Uh, it's powerful, but, uh, you know, one of the things I love about the Gospel of John, I don't know if you're aware of this, but John was the last of the four Gospels to be written. Did you know that? It was the last of the four Gospels, and what I love about it is John gives us uh, certain details that were not in other, other renditions of the Gospel. Uh, John begins to fill in some of the gaps, and one of the things that I want to draw our attention to today that maybe you never noticed is, uh, uh, you know, this Passover uh, festival, uh, this uh, gathering of believers in this worship of Jesus on Palm Sunday. I don't know, how many of you have ever seen a movie or a production where you've seen kind of a reenactment of this uh, Palm Sunday celebration? Uh, okay, many of us have. 
I, I remember growing up and watching one of those productions myself and uh, watching, and it, and it messed with me, man, because the same people that were acting and waving the palm branches in the very next scene were shouting, crucify him. And I've even heard preachers say stuff like that, but I, I just, I, let me dispel something here today. These who were there to worship Jesus had truly come to believe that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was the coming king, and I highly doubt, I mean, the Bible says nothing to indicate this. Uh, maybe it's just lack of actors. I don't know where we come up with this, but uh, the fact of the matter is, even within this text, we see the Pharisees plotting to betray and crucify Jesus. So you have two groups of people who are gathered here, one to worship and receive him as the king of kings and, and another to accuse him of, of blasphemy and ultimately crucify him. But what I think is so fascinating, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, the Bible says that the reason the crowd was so large there in, in, in this uh, in this. Palm Sunday, sorry. Uh, they were so large. There were so many people gathered together was because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And Lazarus and people who had witnessed what had happened, Mary and Martha, these who were there and a part of this, they were the ones who were telling everybody about what had happened with Lazarus in the previous chapter. I'd never even seen that connection until just a, a couple weeks ago. It's very interesting. Uh, I, I think uh, I want to help you guys out with something. Uh, many of us have prayed for, for breakthrough, prayed for healing, prayed for whatever it is that we're believing for. And most of us have experienced what it is like, God, you're not answering my prayer. Or God, you're delaying your How many of you have ever experienced delays uh, uh, in the spirit? Uh, God, why are you not answering? It even felt maybe disappointment. God, why are you not responding? Well, you can read about this. You know the story. In the previous chapter dealing with Lazarus, Lazarus had gotten sick. Jesus already had a relationship with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. It's a wonderful family. In fact, the Bible, uh, he refers to Lazarus as his dear friend. So he's close to Lazarus. He loves Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick, and they call for Jesus. Come and pray for your friend. The Bible says, you can read this. This is very interesting. Jesus intentionally waited a couple extra days. What Mary and Martha wanted, and I'm sure Lazarus wanted as well, was Jesus, come over to our house, lay hands on Lazarus, and, and let's see him healed of his sickness. Of course, we know the end of the story. Jesus had something much bigger in mind, but he delayed his response intentionally. So he comes into that region and area, and the Bible talks about how Martha met him coming down the road and said, Jesus, if you had been here the other day, my brother wouldn't have died. She had faith for what God could do. She had faith for yesterday. Jesus, you could have healed him. And Jesus responds. He says, Martha, Martha, Lazarus will be raised up. She says, well, I, I know that, that in the end, I know at the resurrection, at your coming, at the coming of the kingdom, I know then, yeah, he's going to be raised up. You see, she didn't have faith for a now miracle. She had a faith for, oh, yeah, one day, yeah, Jesus, you're going to come back, and then everybody's going to be ready. She had faith for tomorrow. 
Guys, I just, this is a bonus message for you. I feel like many of us live in that kind of place where, yeah, God used to do powerful things. Or, yeah, God can do powerful things. But Jesus is like, no, if you will believe me, this is actually what he tells her. If you believe me, you will see the glory of God. You will see the glory of God. And so he shows up at this funeral, and then Mary actually says, Oh, Jesus, if you had been here a a couple days ago, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You know what that tells me? Mary and Martha, they've been dogging on Jesus a little bit. Do you notice that separate from each other, they both say the same exact thing to Jesus? So you know they've been talking about how Jesus has disappointed them. Is anybody thankful that God is still gracious and merciful even when, we, even when we run our mouths, when we blow it, when we're not doing all things right. So Jesus comes in there, and again, uh, he, he ministers to his people. He weeps. You know the story. And he calls forth Lazarus. Now, listen, this was not the first time that Jesus saw a resurrection from the dead. He'd raised up another young girl uh, uh, just a little bit earlier in his ministry. But this one was significant, and let me just tell you why. There was a belief among the Jewish people that the soul of a person would remain with the body three days after they had died. So the fact that Jesus shows up on day four, like people believed, oh, three days, yeah, maybe they could be raised up because the the soul is still there with the body, which, by the way, is not true, but that's what their belief was. And so the fact that Jesus shows up on day four, for Jesus was demonstrating to these people that he had supreme authority over life and death. In addition to this, Jesus knows that the world is getting ready to come together for Passover. And I believe part of the reason Jesus delayed this miracle is because he knew there's going to be a sweet spot right here where we can not only see the glory of God demonstrated in the resurrection of the dead, but we're also going to tell a lot of people about What's going on? They're going to gather together and they're going to realize they're coming together not just to to celebrate some past event that happened with Moses and the children of Israel. They're coming together for King Jesus. You understand? Church, the sooner that you and I can come to the realization that God's timing really is perfect, we're going to live in a lot more peace. We're going to have a lot more peace in our life. In the moment that we realize, hear me on this. This is a lesson I learned a couple years ago. I don't think I'll ever forget it. God doesn't always give us what we ask for. But he will give us what we need. How many of you ever reflect on your life? And like, I I think back, man, like 2004. I like some of the things that I was just so passionate about are so stupid. Anybody ever think that? Like, I was really, I was really dumb a couple years ago. If you don't ever look back on your life and, like, shake your head and think that you were really dumb, you're probably still dumb. Uh, oh, I was, sorry, never mind. Um, but my point is, uh, uh, you know, what was my point? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus gives us, he gives us what we need. Because very often, friend, you don't know what you actually need. You ask for things, but you don't know very often. You don't know the whole story. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what God is trying to produce in you, and you don't know what God desires to do through you. 
See, these guys were concerned about their sick brother. Jesus had resurrection in mind. They had a time frame in mind. Jesus, you needed to be here a couple days ago, but Jesus had his timing perfect because there were crowds gathering and he wanted to impact more than Lazarus and their family. His timing is perfect. If you would believe, he tells his family, you'll see the glory of God. How many of you would like to see the glory of God? How many of you would like to operate in the glory of God? You better be careful about what you ask for. You know, the Bible talks a lot about glory. There's moments, uh, we always talk about Solomon and that experience when the glory of God fell in that temple. And how the priests, uh, the glory was so thick in that place. The Bible says that they weren't even able to enter into the temple to do their, their sacrifices. And, and I think about that, man. This was, not, this was not a reverential thing like, hey, I, I feel like God is here. We should all kneel right now. And that's not what this was. There was a cloud of glory that was so intense that they could not stand in the presence of God. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but it is freaky, friend. You're like, God is so big, God is here right now, I might die. That's what these guys were feeling. Isaiah chapter 6, we, we talk about it. He has this heavenly encounter and he sees God in all of his glory seated on the throne. Wow, that's amazing. I'd love to go to heaven. But the Bible says that Isaiah was undone. He says, woe is me. I am undone. You, you know what that, that really means? It means I'm, I am mentally destroyed. I am wrecked. I am going crazy. I cannot handle what I'm seeing right now. John, in Revelation chapter 1, in Revelation chapter 4, has this heavenly encounter. And there, again, he sees the glory of God. The Bible says he fell on the ground as though he were dead. He thought he, he, thought he died. Until an angel came and said, hey, you're all right. Come on, man. Stand up. We look at these encounters and we say, oh, I want the glory of God. And, 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 and I think Mary and Martha and Lazarus wanted the glory too. And Jesus said, you're going to have it. But I don't think they understood. Your brother's going to have to die for you to receive glory. Why am I talking about this on Palm Sunday? This is the reason that people gathered together. And something very interesting happened. Jesus is received in the town. They're hearing the testimony about how Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And many are coming to believe that this is the Messiah. He's a dead raiser. He has authority. Uh, he's a miracle worker. This is the guy who the Bible has been talking about. And then the Bible says, we didn't read this portion of the text, but I'm, I'm just going to give it to you. In verse 20 of John chapter 12, the Bible talks about how this whole group of people come to Jesus the same day. Jesus is sitting at a meal with his disciples, and there is a whole group from this crowd that is gathered together. They come to Jesus, and they say, uh, we want to meet Jesus. We want to spend time with Jesus. So I want you to get the picture here. They've seen this miracle. They've seen a, a measure of God's glory on display, and now they're all coming to meet 
the Messiah. They're coming to meet the Savior on Palm Sunday. And Jesus tells them three things. He teaches them what glory looks like. He teaches them about what life with him looks like. And he teaches them about what honor truly looks like. This is the first message to new disciples that Jesus shares on Palm Sunday. He talks to them about glory. He talks to them about life. And he talks to them about honor. Now, I've already mentioned glory. uh, But Jesus said in verse 23 of John chapter 12, Father, the time has come for the the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Everybody say glory. Now, you all told me that you want glory. That was before I told you that it might kill you. Um, but you know what glory is? I mean, we, we talk about it like it's some mystical thing out there. Can I just, let me give you, uh, and I know the Greek, I know the Hebrew, but I've just noticed sometimes we, we have these phrases that we know, like if I ask you what is grace, somebody's going to say unmerited favor. I'm like, yeah, that's true, that's right. What does that even mean? So when we talk about glory, I know there's somebody, oh, that's the kabod, it's the, it's the weighty present. Yeah, but what does that mean? Let me tell you exactly what glory is in a way that we can all understand it. Are you ready for this? Glory is a physical manifestation of an attribute of God. That's what glory is. It is a physical manifestation of an attribute of God. So when somebody is healed by the power of God, glory. When a sinner comes to repentance and is born again and washed clean and now they're a saint in the kingdom and in the eyes of God, that's glory. When Lazarus is raised from the dead, that's glory. Okay, so, so all of these moments when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, that's glory. So when we talk about glory, I mean, yeah, those, those scary glory encounters, but there's also not so scary glory encounters. And I don't know about you, I actually want it all. If it's coming from the hand of God, do it here. Do it here, Lord. But Jesus explains to them what it's going to take in order to see glory. Do you want to know what it's going to take to see God's characteristics manifested in and through your life? Do you know what it's going to take to see God's glory resting upon this house? Because he explained it to these new disciples. He said, I tell you the truth, verse 24, John 12. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Glory, harvest. The cost, death. He says in verse 28, Father, bring glory to your name. I've brought glory. I have brought glory to my name, so do it again. Some thought this was thunder. The Lord spoke from heaven. And Jesus said, the time has come when Satan, the ruler of the world, will be cast out. How many know when the devil gets cast out? That's glory. 
That's a demonstration of God's power. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. He said this to indicate how he would die. So glory was, as he's putting it right here, his resurrection. Glory was this harvest of souls that was coming in. And glory was Satan being defeated and cast down. And the cost of glory was death. Jesus prayed in John 17, 22. This is his prayer meeting just before he dies. I have given my disciples, I have given them the glory you gave me. So they may be one as we are one. Church, do you understand that it is God's desire for us to operate in his glory? That inspires me, friend. You say, Pastor, what's it going to cost us? Everything. If we want to see the power of God on display in our lives, if we want to see the glory of God fill this house, if we want to see Jesus Christ on display, not just in name, not just in title, but we truly want to see God's manifest presence in our midst, it's going to cost us everything. It will cost us everything. Total surrender. In fact, the Bible mentions it this way in Romans chapter 12. It talks about how we are to become living sacrifices. Look at your neighbor and tell him you're a living sacrifice. Look at your other neighbor and tell him you need to die. <laughs> This is the cost of glory, friend. This is the cost of glory. And, and you're saying, Pastor, this is an intense message to preach on Palm Sunday. Don't you know we have first-time guests? Listen, I know that we do. This was the message that Jesus preached the first time he had disciples gathered together. You want glory? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you. you got to be a living sacrifice. Galatians 2.20, uh, it talks about how it's not my life that I live any longer. I am crucified with Jesus Christ. It's not my life. Now it's his life. This is why I pray every single Sunday, Jesus, come live your life through me. We need to, we need to die. I think about, and I was talking with my family last night about Abraham and Isaac. You know, do you ever notice like when we tell these Bible stories, we're always like, we're always compared to the heroes in the story. Like, you never heard a story where you're compared to Goliath. You're always David, right? You, you never heard a story where you're compared to, you know, Judas. No, you're always Peter or, you know, you're like Jesus. Uh, and and uh, I hear this story about Abraham, and it was admirable. He is the father of our faith, and there are many things that we model our life after the way that man of God lived his life. But you know who I'm really impressed by in that story? It's Isaac. Okay, for all our Bible school students. Anybody know how old Isaac was when he was led up into the, onto the mountain to be sacrificed? I hear a lot of different answers. 
This is almost unanimous agreement. I know you probably saw a cartoon growing up, or maybe you did the felt board thing. You guys remember that? Uh, yeah, and he was like 12, or he was, you know, little. And listen, if Isaac was like six, no big deal. You're going to do what daddy says, right? He's going to tie you up. He's going to put you on there. Here, lay down here for a second. Isaac was 37 when he was led up onto that mountain. 37. He was not a child. 37 years old. I'm impressed with the fact he comes to this revelation, Father, where is the sacrifice? And he says, the Lord will provide. They get up onto that mountain, and the Lord hasn't provided the way that they expected to yet. So when the time for the sacrifice comes, Abraham didn't tie him up. He didn't knock him out, you know, put him up there unknown. To, no, Isaac willfully got onto that altar. Isaac was willing to be the sacrifice that was required. And, of course, we know the story how, how the angel of the Lord, I believe that's a Christophany. It was a manifestation of God in that moment. Uh, stopped him. Don't harm your son. And it was stopped. Church, what God is asking of us is not just being willing to sacrifice. That's what Abraham did. But he's asking us to be living sacrifices like Isaac was. Are you willing to be the sacrifice? Are you willing to lay down your life for whatever Jesus desires? Are we willing to give it all if it means we will see the glory of God manifest through our lives and in this place? This is the first message. I feel the presence of God in this. Jesus next taught his disciples, these new followers, about life. He talked to them about glory and the cost. But he also talked to them about life and what life looks like. Uh, verse 25, he says, those who love their lives in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for all eternity. And this was not a new message to Jesus. He shared this often. Matthew 10, 37. If you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. You don't love your son or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will find it. Shares, shares the very same thing in Matthew 16. Are you willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me? If you don't, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life, you'll gain it. You'll find it. I want you to understand, church, he's not asking you to hate your parents or to hate your children. That's not the message here at all. But are, how are things in proportion to your love for God? I asked my kids' opinions before we moved here to Kona. And I wanted them in agreement on this. But at the end of the day, we do what God has asked us to do, whether they like it or not. My children have never had a choice whether they attend church or not. Why? Because I fear God more than I fear offending my children. 
I'd rather have them raised in the house of God. I was reading. Now, again, this is another bonus thing. That This was my study time last night. I was reading about that, that moment with, with Eli, with Hophni and Phinehas. You, you guys remember that story in the Old Testament? Eli was the priest. Hophni and Phinehas were scoundrel pastor's kids. These guys would steal offerings. They were sleeping around with women in the church. I mean, horrible evil. And God said, I'm going to pronounce judgment. But I never saw this. The Lord came to Eli, and this was what he said. He said, you honor your children more than you honor me. That's why God brought judgment on Eli. Because he honored and esteemed his children more highly than he honored and esteemed God. And that's why, they never, that's why he never brought correction to his children. Friend, we need to get the fear of God back in our lives. Like, Lord, I'm going to die to myself because I fear you more than pleasing my flesh. I will discipline my children because I fear you more than I fear hurting my kids' feelings. You understand? I'll preach messages like this because I fear God more than offending my church family. This was the message that Jesus preached on Palm Sunday to new believers. You need to lay down your life. You want to find it? Oh, church, I, I think about Jesus. You know, it's one of the things that we, that we have written on our wall here that we believe that that God desires us to experience life with people and with power and with purpose. We want to experience the life of God. We get that out of John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. If we're going to experience the life of God, we have to be willing to lay down our own agendas. I'll never forget 2004. I had a music career ahead of me. I had a girl that I liked. I had a group of friends. I had a job. And all of those things I was willing to surrender when I gave my life to Jesus. Today is, again, one of those moments I look back. Thank God I'm not connected with some of the people that I was before. Thank God the girl I thought was cute when I was just coming out of high school. Ooh, you guys. God knows. God knows. You understand? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I remember one time. I, oh, man, my kids are in the room. Maybe I shouldn't tell this story, but I can't start it and not. No, we were, so we went back to my hometown one time, and we were going through a drive through at a fast food restaurant. My ex-girlfriend was working the window, and I was so ashamed I didn't even tell my wife or family who that was until after we drove away. Oh, my goodness. The Lord spared me. I'm just telling you, the Lord spared me. 
And there's moments today, you know, I'm just, I hope I'm not coming off as a gloom and doom kind of thing. You know, we're going we're gonna to die to ourselves and we're going to sacrifice everything. Yeah, you are. But understand that the heart of Jesus is to give you abundant life. He has better for you than you could ever do for yourself. He has more for you than you could ever imagine. But you have to be willing to say, God, I surrender all that I am to all that you are. I give my will and my future and, and everything about me to you because I want your life flowing through me. You understand? You understand? So, boy, I just do. I, I look at my wife. I look at my kids. I just can't even. I couldn't have ever done that on my own. It is the goodness of God. I look at this church. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My wife and I, we, we just look at each other sometimes and like, what a privilege that we get to be a part of what God is doing here in Kona. What a joy. Guys, as a punk high school kid, I never would have imagined that that moment of surrender would end up like this. I've never regretted a day in my life. Have you ever heard somebody, man, I just wish I never would have surrendered my life to Jesus. My life has been downhill from there. Have you ever heard anybody say that? You've never heard anybody say that. But boy, we've heard a whole lot of people talk about, I, I wish I would have made a better decision here. I, I wish I wouldn't have gone down the road of drugs. I wish I wouldn't have lived with that, with that girl for all those years. I, I wish I would have done things right in my business. Uh, you hear regrets like that all the time. But I have yet to hear anybody say, I regret surrendering my life to Jesus. It's just gotten worse. He wants to give you abundant life. He wants to give you abundant life, but you have to be willing to give your life to him. And here's the last one. Worship team, would you come? I'm, I'm done. Jesus taught his new disciples about glory and what it would cost. He talked to them about life and what it would cost. And he talked to them about honor. He talked to them about honor. In verse 26, John 12, he says, Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. My servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. He will honor anyone who serves me. Anyone who wants to serve must follow. I think we all desire to be honored and esteemed. We all desire recognition. And according to Jesus, the way that you're going to receive honor in this life is by serving. Everything that Jesus was laying out here seems backwards in the way the world thinks. But Jesus is expressing to his disciples, this is what following me is going to look like. It's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to lay down your life. You're going to have to serve like crazy. But if you do that, I will manifest my presence in your midst, glory. I will give you life more abundant than you can even imagine. And my Father will honor you. He will lift you up. This Thursday... In the Passion Week, I encourage you guys, really really dig into 
and, and take time to reflect every day this week on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thursday is the day the Last Supper would have fallen on. The next day he's betrayed, crucified, Good Friday. And of course we'll celebrate Easter, Resurrection. But I was just pondering. and I'm, I'm praying, we're going to minister this on Thursday night just a little different and I'm praying about how exactly we'll do it but I think about that scene at the Last Supper do you ever think that Jesus he knelt on his knees and began to wash the feet of his disciples it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what this would actually look like because you know, we're not walking around on dirt roads in slippers. All, well, some of you might be, actually, but, but you understand. Most of us, I mean, I, I could take off my new shoe and my clean sock, and my foot is pretty fresh, I'll be honest. Do you wash my foot right now? It's not the same effect as what Jesus was dealing with there. It was a part of their culture. Most homes had a servant of that nature, and the lowest servant in the household was the foot washer. Jesus took on the position of the lowest servant in that place. And this was not just, understand, this was not like just a prophetic act. This was not just a, hey, let me just give you an example of what humility looked like. No, he really served them. He was saying, you guys are important enough to me to die for. Because that's literally what he was getting ready to do. I think about what it was like to kneel before that betrayer, Judas, who'd already been plotting his betrayal. And Jesus knelt down and washed his feet. Oh my goodness. The Bible says that what honor looks like is not just to esteem people who are greater or more respectable or more famous than you as, as honorable, but it's said to honor all men. Do we serve people like that? I love what Pastor Ann shared this last week about how every person is a gift from God. Flaky people. People that don't keep their word, smelly people. I'm telling you, they're a gift from God. Do you look at them that way? Wow. Would you just stand to your feet? We're going we're gonna to pray. <clears throat> do we have something we could sing right now? This is what, this is what I want to do. We're going we're gonna to reflect on the beautiful name of Jesus. But if you're here today and you just say, I, man, I need to check my heart. I need to. I need to humble myself. I need to, I need to lay down my life, a living sacrifice for Jesus. Or I, I need to endure what I may be going through because it's going to produce glory in, in my life. We're going to sing this, and I just want you to reflect for a moment before we have a closing prayer together. <clears throat>